This DeChico & Sons grocery store just north of New York City looks like your average upscale supermarket. There are shelves stocked with dry goods in the middle of the floor, refrigerated cases full of fancy cheeses and craft beer line the perimeter, masked people peruse the fruits. But in one invisible way, DeChico & Sons is rare among America's 38,000 or so supermarkets. It's one of just a few hundred that no longer use the potent greenhouse gases called hydrofluorocarbons in their refrigeration systems. Hydrofluorocarbons, or HFCs, have been used since the 80s and are hundreds to thousands of times more potent than carbon dioxide at trapping heat in the atmosphere. And HFCs aren't only in supermarkets. HFCs are used in air conditioners and buildings and in cars and refrigerated trucks and warehouses. Unless you live in Europe or Japan, HFCs are most likely in the fridge in your kitchen. If you want to know for sure, check the label on the inside door. R134A, yep. But probably by the time your fridge conks out and you get a new one, all that is going to change. This is the Undark Podcast. I'm Lydia Chain. In December of last year, Congress passed with bipartisan support the American Innovation and Manufacturing Act as part of its government funding bill. Among other provisions, the AIM Act gives the Environmental Protection Agency authority to phase out most HFCs over the next 15 years. Environmentalists hailed it as one of the most significant pieces of climate legislation passed by Congress in decades. The legislation adds the United States to the list of more than 100 countries phasing down HFCs in what is no less than the third great transition in refrigerant history, expected to prevent up to half a degree Celsius in warming by the end of the century. But transition to what? What will replace HFCs in every fridge in America? The legislation doesn't specify, and the chemistry is not cooperative. James Deneen has the story. John DeChico Jr. runs DeChico and Sons. He's one of the sons. Uh, yeah, sure. I think, yeah, we sit, sit there and then chat and then maybe and then go check out the, check out the, the fridge. Yeah, sure. In 2015, DeChico was building this new store in Larchmont, and DeChico saw an opportunity to make it as environmentally friendly as possible. We have a very educated, higher-end demographic that is very keen to the, you know, what stance every business is making towards the environment. And being environmentally conscious can also save a company money at the same time and creating a win-win situation. Where he put in LED lighting, solar panels, and extra large fans to improve air circulation. And he decided to do something about HFCs. Not only were they potent greenhouse gases, but federal and state regulations on which ones could be used kept changing. Every year we had to make upgrades to our older stores to improve the gas or eliminate a gas. And I was like, there's got to be a better way to do this. After doing a bunch of research, he decided to take the plunge and abandon HFCs completely. Instead of an HFC system, he would install a refrigeration system that used carbon dioxide, CO2, as a refrigerant. And it was a bold choice. At the time, there was only a few other stores in the country that had CO2-based refrigeration systems. The only other store in New York was a flagship Whole Foods in Brooklyn. DeChico & Sons was just a small, family-run outfit, and installing a CO2 system was expensive. It wasn't just a matter of using a different gas, it required using different machinery, even different pipes. 
but the Chico was committed. You know, our, my kids who I have who, two young kids and I want to make sure that the world is going to be in a good environmental place for them and I want to make sure that I'm doing my part in order to keep the environment, you know, improving from the situation it's in right now. Now, carbon dioxide might strike you as an odd choice for a climate-friendly refrigerant, but CO2 is actually a relatively weak greenhouse gas. It has what's called a low global warming potential. Uh, there are two parameters that are important uh, for global warming potential. This is Pyotr Demansky, a chemical engineer who researches alternative refrigerants at the National Institute of Standards and Technology. One is the ability of the molecule of the compound to trap infrared radiation. And the second is the atmospheric lifetime of, of, the, of the compound. In other words, how good is the gas at trapping heat in the atmosphere? And how long does the gas stick around trapping heat before dissipating? CO2 is used as the yardstick for all other gases and has a global warming potential of one, which is low. CO2 plays such an outsized role in climate change because of the huge quantities of it released by burning fossil fuels. HFCs are released in tiny quantities compared to CO2, but they are far better at trapping heat in the atmosphere and stick around for decades, giving them an extremely high global warming potential. The HFC refrigerant R134A is commonly used in home fridges. It has a global warming potential of 1,430 over 100 years. The HFC refrigerant R404A, commonly used in supermarkets, has a global warming potential of nearly 4,000. So imagine I, as an average consumer, I bike to my local store, I take my tote bag so I don't have to use plastic, I pick up the organic stuff, but I just open the refrigerator to get a pizza out or something, and I have just, without knowing, you know, sort of undone all of the climate savings. This is Avipsa Mahapatra, climate campaign lead at the Environmental Investigation Agency, an environmental advocacy nonprofit. She works on a campaign to raise awareness about HFCs in supermarkets. People think it's something that's inside the equipment. But what we know, and we've said again and again, is that when you're looking at a central refrigeration system in a supermarket, it is not a 100% tight system. You are leaking these gases out. According to a 2011 report by the EPA, the average American supermarket loses about 25% of its refrigerant each year, with a climate impact equivalent to over 1,500 metric tons of CO2. Added up across every supermarket in the country, that amounts to emissions equivalent to more than 12 million cars driving for a year. How frequently did the HFCs have to be uh, recharged? You know, generally once a year, twice a year, there'd be a leak in a store. Sometimes it could be 50 pounds, but sometimes it could be a thousand pounds of refrigerant leaking out. So depending on the severity of the leak, of course there's leaks too with CO2, but they're not as, you know, as averse to the environment as the refrigerant leak is or could be. How do you know when there's a leak? I mean, it's a look around, there's, there, there's a lot of refrigerators. There's a leak usually when you lose refrigerant or you lose the whole system all at once. And that's how you usually know there's a leak, <laughs> when everything stops being gold. What's odd about all this, though, is that despite the hype around CO2 as a climate-friendly refrigerant, it's nothing new. CO2 was a common refrigerant a century ago, in the early days of mechanical refrigeration. Refrigeration is part of our daily lives. That is to say, carbon dioxide, an old-fashioned refrigerant, is now replacing HFCs, which, as I'll explain, were themselves a replacement for the refrigerant that replaced carbon dioxide. It's like a married couple got divorced, married and divorced other people two more times, then got back together. What happened? 
Well, first you have to know something about how refrigeration works. You might say that a refrigerator works by taking heat from the inside of the box and getting rid of it on the outside. To move heat from the inside to the outside, a refrigerator uses cycles of pressure to force a substance called a refrigerant to change from liquid to gas and back again. Solid, liquid, and gas are called the three states of matter. It's a basic property of matter to absorb or give off heat when it changes state. Under low pressure, liquid refrigerant becomes a gas and absorbs heat from the inside of the refrigerator. Then the refrigerant flows outside, where pressure is increased. As the refrigerant transforms back to a liquid, it gives off heat. You have seen the basic principles of refrigeration. Now, the nature of this process limits which compounds make good refrigerants. You can't just use any old gas. A refrigerant has to be able to change between a liquid and a gas at the right temperature and do it efficiently. It also has to be stable enough to last. In the early days of mechanical refrigeration, a whole variety of fluids were tried. This is Mark McClendon, another chemist at the National Institute of Standards and Technology who has worked on alternative refrigerants for decades. Things sort of settled or sort of converged on just a few, uh, notably ammonia, and carbon dioxide. Later on, hydrocarbons like propane and isobutane were introduced, but this so-called whatever works generation of refrigerants had certain drawbacks. The, these fluids, other than carbon dioxide, they were either toxic or they were flammable, or both. Here's Demansky again. And accidents did happen. Fire in one of the great ice factories in Brooklyn meant not only danger from fire, but from poisonous gas and explosion too. Ammonia was toxic and somewhat flammable. The hydrocarbons were very flammable. Carbon dioxide was neither, but it wasn't very efficient. The need for safe refrigerants was very strong and obvious. There was also more demand for refrigeration itself. Refrigeration is part of our daily life. So famously, in the, in the late 20s, uh, the director of research for General Motors, which is the parent company for Frigidaire, went to one of his research scientists and said, we need a better refrigerant. And that is what led to the CFCs, the chlorofluorocarbons. Yes, as though this wasn't already confusing enough, before there were HFCs, there were CFCs. And CFCs, chlorofluorocarbons, had all the thermodynamic traits of a good refrigerant. They were also non-toxic, non-flammable, and extremely stable. To demonstrate this, the chemist who invented CFCs once inhaled them and then blew out a candle. He didn't die, and the building didn't burn down. They were the perfect refrigerants, and they really came to dominate things. For decades, all was well. They just had this one little problem of transporting chlorine to the upper atmosphere where they destroyed ozone. For the first time, waste from industrial activity may be altering climate on a global scale. In 1974, two atmospheric chemists found that CFCs could deplete stratospheric ozone, a thin layer of molecules high in the atmosphere which absorbs much of the sun's harmful ultraviolet radiation. They realized that because CFCs were so stable and long-lived, they could float all the way up to the stratosphere before breaking down, releasing chlorine atoms that eat away ozone. The groundwork for this understanding was laid by chemist Sherwood Rowland. For a long time, the view was that if you put something into the atmosphere, it went away. 
And what we have found now is that it doesn't go away, it accumulates there. A decade later, other scientists in Antarctica discovered that a hole had, in fact, formed in the ozone. And after a contentious debate, CFCs were determined to be the cause. In 1987, the nations of the world signed the Montreal Protocol, agreeing to stop the production and use of CFCs and other ozone-depleting gases over the next few decades. And fortunately, alternatives were already available, namely hydrofluorocarbons, HFCs. So that, that made the prospect of, of phasing out the CFCs not quite as scary uh, to the industry. HFCs had no chlorine, so did not destroy ozone. And despite their high global warming potential relative to carbon dioxide, were actually less potent greenhouse gases than the CFCs and other refrigerants in use. Over the next 20 years, CFCs and other ozone-depleting refrigerants were phased out, and HFCs were phased in, and all was well again. I think for a long time, most folks in the industry felt that you know, HFCs were the long-term solution. But as climate change became a more urgent issue, the high global warming potential of HFCs was no longer tenable. In 2016, after years of negotiations, an amendment to phase out most HFCs by 2035 was added to the Montreal Protocol. Called the Kigali Amendment after the city in Rwanda where it was negotiated, it has since been ratified by 119 countries and the European Union. Recently, the US and China said they would ratify the amendment. India, the other notable holdout, has not yet made a commitment. But unlike the previous refrigerant transitions from whatever works to CFCs, then from CFCs to HFCs, this time there's not really a new one-sized-fits-all alternative waiting in the wings. There's, there's, no, there's no easy answer. The ideal refrigerant doesn't exist. At least, that's what McClendon and Demansky argue, and they did their best to find it. We went to this very large database of you know, 60 million chemicals. And we said, okay, let's try to identify molecules with these particular properties. After filtering out all the chemicals with high global warming potential and all the chemicals that depleted ozone and all the chemicals that are large molecules, which tend to make poor refrigerants, they were left with about 200,000 molecules. <laughs> um, Okay. They then ruled out the chemicals with the wrong thermodynamic properties. You want something that's volatile. Which got them down to... Something like 138. Then they crossed off the chemicals that were unacceptably toxic or flammable or unstable or inefficient and... With that, uh, we got it down to 29 fluids. 29 candidates out of 60 million molecules. And sort of the disappointing thing was that we didn't really find a good replacement. None of them could replace HFCs in all their applications without accepting some trade-off. So basically, the chemistry didn't cooperate. We need uh, better options. The chemistry didn't give us. It is what it is. But no ideal alternatives doesn't mean no alternatives. It just might take a whole lot of reconfiguring. Right there, Jim. So one set is a frozen food set, which is low temp. And the two other sets are commercial. Did Chico leads me down a few corridors to the refrigeration system in the basement. Rows of metal pipes line the ceiling. Loud is good. (laughs) 
So this is essentially the refrigeration system. There's four medium temp compressors, which generally keep the temperature between 32 and 40 degrees. The system is a minivan sized version of what happens behind every home refrigerator. Refrigerant, in this case CO2, moves heat out of the fridges and freezers in the store. Back in the basement, the refrigerant is compressed and the cycle begins again. For an extra dose of efficiency, the heat the CO2 gives off as it's compressed is reused. So what we do in this case is we run all the water, all of our hot water through this first heat exchanger, and this basically heats all the hot water we need for the store. Your refrigeration system also heats your water. Yes, heats the water and heats the store. And cools the and store. And cools the store. Wow, I mean, I'm just imagining 38,000 supermarkets around the country, yeah. something like that. A lot of these to put in. <laughs> That's a lot of HFCs to eliminate. 1,000, 2,000 pounds per store times 38,000 is a big number. I can't do it in my head. <laughs> when DeChico installed his CO2 system, it was one of the first in the country. Since then, a few hundred others have followed suit. There are also stores using low global warming potential refrigerants like ammonia or a new class of synthetic refrigerant called hydrofluoroelfins or different refrigerant blends. Some supermarket chains, such as Walmart, have made commitments to phase out HFCs, but according to Mahapatra, have not moved quickly enough. Often you've heard really, um, really, you know, at this point, laughable excuses as to why some companies can't move to other technologies, but it usually comes down to the lack of wanting to spend that money. I reached out to Walmart several times for comment on this, but received no response. And that's just supermarkets. HFCs are used for many other things, from air conditioning systems, both large and small, to refrigerated trucks and train cars, to you and your neighbor's fridge. So what exactly will replace HFCs in every fridge and AC system in America? Okay, that is a complex question. Things are not going to be quite as simple as they were in years past. This time around, there aren't any silver bullet molecules left. There are trade-offs. For instance, CO2 is great for many large-scale applications, but has efficiency problems at smaller scales and in hotter climates. It also can't just be swapped in for HFCs in an existing system. It requires installing a new one. Ammonia has long been used for large-scale commercial refrigeration, but it is flammable and toxic and it stinks. That's an acceptable risk in many commercial settings, but it rules ammonia out for residential use. Hydrocarbons like propane or isobutane can be used in home refrigerators and are already frequently used in Europe and Japan. They're flammable, but it's not a huge issue since home fridges use such a small amount of refrigerant. Another option are the synthetic hydrofluoroelephants, or HFOs. They have negligible global warming potential, but it takes energy to make them. And they are somewhat, wait for it, flammable. There's also some controversy about a substance left over when HFOs break down in the atmosphere called trifluoroacetic acid, or TFA, which can be toxic to aquatic organisms. There are refrigerant blends, which can mitigate some of these drawbacks for some applications, but they have their own problems. For instance, blending HFOs with HFCs can eliminate flammability, but spikes global warming potential back into the hundreds. At the end of April, the EPA issued its first rule under the AIM Act, setting HFC production and consumption baselines. The agency estimates the phase down from there will eliminate emissions equivalent to 4.7 billion metric tons of carbon dioxide by 2050, about as much as a billion cars emit in a year. 
And pulling that off, after decades of research in pursuit of the perfect refrigerant, a barely averted ozone disaster, and a still unfolding climate emergency just might mean going back to where we started. Whatever works. It seems like phasing out HFCs over the next 15 years is really gonna happen in this country. Do you feel like you are way ahead of the game? Yeah, we're done already. <laughs> we're set. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, everyone has a lot of money to spend and a lot of catch up to do. <laughs>